American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life when the words all come down like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Welcome to another episode of. American Timelines. By History for Jerks. I'm Amy and that's Joe. That's who we are and we're nobody else. I am not Tabitha Soren. No, that's true. And Amy is not a supermodel. Definitely not. But she's very attractive for her age. (laughs) You just start digging your hole. And I have a beer gut. All right. Yes, and, and we are sorry again. <laughs> we, yeah. Let's start every episode with an apology for... The this, big length of time between episodes. This used to be a weekly podcast, but we both are living in the time of corona. And it's nightmare. It is a biatch. Let's just say we're both very busy now. Yes. I'm a teacher. Yeah, and I'm a parent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're both And parents. a teacher now. We're, we're both parents, but I've had to start parenting uh, yeah. because Amy's absent from the family now yep uh because she's teaching all hours all nights all day and all night and having an affair with probably some weird guy uh no i'm just kidding just threw that in there but no she's busy and then uh the company i work for laid off most of the people so we all have to do everyone else's work now so anyway i'm busy too anyway, i know that you didn't tune in to hear our us bitch and moan about our lives this is our complaints no but we're very lucky we're very happy we're healthy we have jobs we have jobs we're healthy some of our friends, unfortunately, are not so lucky. Our friends and family are yes. dealing with more, and we our heart goes out to them. And if nothing else, we can at least give you something stupid to listen to for an hour. That's right. Yep. And something stupid dumb. it is. Stupid we are. Listen to two stupid idiots stupid talk about it be. The, the year 1969. We left off in fall. We just were about to start September. Mm-hmm. And we're sorry again, but... Hopefully you'll understand this is a global pandemic. Yes. September 2nd, 1969 was a Tuesday aim. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And the first automatic teller machine in the U.S. called the DocuTeller was installed at a branch of the chemical bank at 10 North Village Avenue in Rockville Center, New York. Okay. The first ATM? Yeah. The first one was installed. Yeah. How about that? Also that same day, James Pike, the controversial Episcopalian American evangelist Mm -hmm. and the church's former bishop of California, disappeared after his car broke down while he was driving across the Judean desert, west west of the Dead Sea in Israel. Pike and his wife, Diana, walked through the desert in search of help until Pike became ill. Oh. And his wife continued searching for help. Mrs. Pike was rescued by a, a... a Bedouin Arab, mm-hmm. and survived. Really? Bishop Pike, however, was found dead six days later oh. by a search team. When, but while he had survived the heat mm-hmm. and he found a source of fresh water, yeah, he attempted to climb up the walls of a steep canyon and was killed when he oh fell. Oh, my God. Yeah, so That's he would have stayed by the water maybe for a few days. Oh, no. That's terrible. 
Meanwhile, Cedric Casey Haley was born from Casey and JoJo. Jodeci. Remember the band Jodeci? Yeah. But I don't know what Casey and JoJo is. I don't know what you're talking about. Casey and JoJo. They had that song. They were from Jodeci. Some of the members of Jodeci became Casey and JoJo. Oh, okay. He was born in Monroe, North Carolina. I didn't know Oh, that. all right. Jodeci. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to me might be the greatest song in American history. Mm. And then September 4th, 1969 was a Thursday. We're going to jump a couple of days. So that's good with you. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Charles B. Elbrick, mm-hmm. the United States ambassador to Brazil, mm-hmm. was kidnapped after guerrillas, guerrillas of the 18th October Revolutionary Movement group stopped his limousine at a roadblock in Rio de Janeiro. Mm. The MR8 group left the limo driver with a letter setting a 48-hour ultimatum for Brazil's military government to release 15 political prisoners and to publish the MR8 Manifesto or face the execution of the ambassador. Oh, what'd they do? Well, after three days and six hours in captivity, Ambassador Elbrick was released unharmed after the 15 prisoners were taken from prison and flown to Mexico City. So they did it. They complied and let him go. And he Really? Got, yeah. Wow. It was a, Deal they, with the devil. Yeah, and they agreed to it. Like mm-hmm. you... You always hear, like in movies and TV. They say, don't negotiate with the t- terrorists. Yeah, because supposedly you give them what they want, then they just kill the hostage anyway. Well, or then it shows everybody that terrorism works. That's the big oh, That's the big, pr- that's the big problem, problem with it. Wow, that's a delicious beer. Oh, just put that anywhere, pal. This beer is called Tiny Ass Umbrella. Oh. By Southern Range Brewing. Anyway, let's jump all the way to September 13th, 1969, shall we? We that's shall. A Saturday. When the iconic... Cartoon dog Scooby Doo was introduced to Saturday morning television as part of a response. I don't know if you know why they created Scooby Doo. No. It was part of a response by the three American TV networks to complaints that cartoons had become too violent. Oh. After three years of superhero and adventure shows, Hanna Barbera, co producer Joseph Barbera, mm-hmm. told reporters that violence will be out of children's programming this fall. And he explained that Scooby Doo, Where Are You? is a series about a chicken hearted Great Dane. Which, along with four high school students, solves tales of the supernatural and predicted that the combination of comedy and music, which we've always known to be popular with kids, could be marketed successfully. That was a genius show, if you think about it. It really was. That's a genius premise. And because what? kids love the supernatural, kids love mysteries, and, and they made them teenagers, and, the, and then this dog. Kids love dogs. And then they had all that awesome 60s music in it, 70s music. And the best thing is it became the greatest. And like Cher was on it and like all yeah, of these all these, Yeah, rockers. Sonny and Cher, I think, and the Three Stooges. Yeah. And it became, and the Harlem Globetrotters, yep. I think. But it became the ultimate Halloween group costume, yes. too, later on. Oh, Everybody, yeah. know, they all wore the same thing all the time. Mm-hmm. Also, all the reference, you know, all the things that you look back at mm-hmm. when you're an adult, like, oh, Scooby was a big stoner. I mean, Shaggy yeah, there's, was a there's so many nods that adults would yeah, could these, like, catch. Drug references, which mm-hmm. uh, make it also kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there you go. Yep. I wasn't ever super into it, but I think I appreciate it more as an adult once I, I heard used to love it. Drugs. There's two different theme songs, you know. Yeah, and there's something to behind that. Do you remember what that is? Why they changed? No, I can't. We did talk about it, didn't we? We talked about it a while back, and we yeah. talked about it on our podcast, but. Hopefully somebody with a better memory than us can remind us. Yeah, I don't remember Tweet us anything. at History for Jerks and remind us what it was. I can't remember. 
Anyway, Tyler Perry was born that same day. And then Thursday, September 8, 1969, the House of Representatives, the U.S. House of Representatives, voted 339 to 70 to approve a proposed 26th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Oh. You know what that did? No. If approved by two-thirds of the U.S. Senate. Equal rights amendment. And then ratified by 38 of the 50 state legislatures of the U.S., it would abolish. If this had passed, which Mm -hmm. it didn't, it would abolish the United States Electoral College. Missed opportunities. We wouldn't be. We wouldn't be. We wouldn't be in this this problem. Right now. I know. We wouldn't be in a living hell right now. We wouldn't. We wouldn't be in. They're probably the pandemic wouldn't have gotten as bad. No. And well, maybe it would have. Who knows? Some of some of I would imagine some of the criminal justice system would have been reformed. I don't think we would be on the precipice of a civil war. I no. don't think we would. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. I don't think before. I do think feminine hygiene products would be way more readily available. Yeah. They would be free. And mandatory for everyone. Even men. Men have to use them, yeah. Yeah. Th- that was the big fear, really. That's why people didn't vote. That's the main reason I voted for Trump was I didn't want to have to wear tampons. You're ridiculous. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, moving on to September 20th. We're going to skip two days. September 20th, 1969 was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. U.S. Senator Gaylord Nelson nice, of Wisconsin. I might have just kept this in there because I wanted to say Gaylord Nelson. He gave a speech to the Washington Environmental Council in Seattle mm-hmm. and made the first proposal that for what would become, in 1970, Earth Day. Oh, nice. Yeah, he proposed it. He said that he planned to set aside a day during the upcoming spring for college scientists, public leaders, students, and faculty to discuss threats to the ecology of the world. Oh, isn't that nice? Yep. And Trump has gotten rid of it. Yep. Probably. He probably did. Probably got he probably. He's probably going to. Did you hear what he did? He wants to. Um, There's an executive. To, he order, wants to redo yeah. history curriculum oh, now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because it's too. Uh, it's too it's pro. Um, pro anything but white man. It's not racist enough. It's not racist enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's not racist enough. Go back to the racism. Make America great again. Anyway, Ugh. we've got to get off the politics. Uh, people don't listen to us for their our political views. That's true. That same day, mm-hmm. at a meeting between the Beatles. Without George Harrison and business manager Alan Klein, John Lennon announced his intention to quit the group, effectively bringing an end to the Fab Four. Aww. McCartney would later recount that he suggested possible future plans for the band, and Lennon, referring to his first wife, shouted, I want a divorce like the one I got from Cynthia. And after a brief argument, Lennon, his wife Yoko Ono, and Klein walked out. Oh, man. So it was not amicable. It wasn't, but they later they made up pretty quick, I think. And I, I uh, sometimes you know how I get into weird loops of things I mm-hmm. listen to to go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly, long drawn out interviews with John Lennon are oddly soothing. Like yeah, <laughs> like it puts me right to sleep. It's um, <laughs> not much of an endorsement. No, yeah, but there's one of him with um, Tom Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a two hour. Inter- it was like. Tom Snyder re-aired it when he died or something. It was from like 76 mm-hmm. or something. And he goes on and on about like, you know, they just, it was hard for them. They were under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. And mm-hmm. it was hard to do anything. They couldn't play because nobody could, when they played live, you couldn't hear the music. Because the people were screaming so yeah. much. And then being such an iconic group and being young, and they kind of grew up in yeah. the spotlight. And oh, yeah. you know, they wanted to do different things and they didn't want to always be 
tied to this and mm-hmm. whatever. So, um, I bet if they if he would have lived, they would have got together like, again a reunion, a hundred reunion tours like they all do now. Yeah, like the Rolling Stones are on their seven hundred fiftieth reunion. They never broke up officially. I don't think. No, oh, maybe they didn't. I don't think so. I think they just still rocking. Yeah. Keep on rocking in a frame. But I am. I also got into a loop of watching Paul McCartney, the differences between him now and him then. Oh, you're you're starting to believe the Here, urban legend? Here's why I believe he's dead. I mean, I don't know what what part was it that he supposedly died. Was it around this time? Um, No, it was earlier. We have already know. talked Oops. about it. Oh, shoot. I know we talked about it, but it was like early. I can't remember, but... So remember, I, I maybe I don't believe he died, but I don't think the young Paul McCartney is the same guy that's around now. Because if you look at him, mm-hmm. maybe people change as they get old, but he's always got not even a single whisker. Like he looks like he can't even grow any beard at mm-hmm. all. If you see him, his mm-hmm. old man he looks like an old, he looks like Hillary Clinton kind of. He looks like an older <laughs> woman. Uh, he looks like a beautiful woman. Yeah. But and so I looked. I was like, wait, he had a big shaggy beard at one point. Like you, yeah. You don't just. You can't just like sometimes grow a giant beard and then sometimes have baby face that can't grow it. So right. I looked at the pictures of him with a big old beard and I forget that he had one. Yeah, he had a big giant beard. That's not the same dude. Well, I mean, maybe you got you're onto something. Or did he get some kind of surgery to suddenly have lady face? Or do you just get maybe you just maybe get he lady just face shaves every day? But it doesn't. There's no bumps or anything ever. I don't know. Like, wouldn't there be bumps? Like I shave and I get. I got five o'clock shadow. You, yeah, you don't shave very well. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using the same razor. You, you shave like a like a twelve year old would shave. Hey, I've been using the same razor since. And you leave tumbleweeds of hair around the bathroom. Hey, my dad. hey, hey. Well, I'm just walking in the truth, babe. Well, sometimes you get a sugar daddy stuck in your back hair, and you got to do something about it. <laughs> anyway, uh, that. That same day, mm-hmm. uh, September 20th, the very last theatrical Warner Brothers cartoon, the Merry Melodies short, oh. in- Engine Trouble, was released, Oops. bringing an end to an era when feature films were preceded by brief cartoons. Oh, Remember they used to have cartoons yeah. in the movie theaters? I mean, I don't remember that. but I, was, I remember that. Well, you weren't born But yet, I wasn't so. born. But yeah, they so must have done it. Some places must have still done it. Nope. Maybe it's you having memories of your previous life as a Vietnam Maybe. soldier. Maybe. Uh, and then September, oh, that same day on September 20th, the Archies took over the number one spot in the Billboard chart. Oh. The Archies, you know yeah. who they are? Yes. Who? Comic book, uh, cartoon, yeah. comic book, yeah. Cartoon characters took over the number one spot with a song called Sugar Sugar. Sugar, uh, 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 honey, honey. Uh, Did you know that was originally uh, uh, recorded uh, uh. by the Archies? I feel like I did know that. Yeah, that was- doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it was written by Jeff Barry and Andy Kim, and their version reached the number one spot in the chart and remained there for four weeks. Four weeks? Yep. That's pretty long. Yep. It was originally on the album Everything's Archie. It was Mm -hmm. uh, studio musicians made it, uh, managed by Don Kirshner. Mm -hmm. Ron Dante did the lead vocals, and he was accompanied by those of Tony Wine and Andy Kim. I guess they didn't go for the stage names back then. Nope. Together they provided the voices of the Archies using multi-tracking. All right. And I guess when they first played this, Mm -hmm. when they first released it, uh, Kirshner had a promotion uh, where they 
played it at radio stations, and the personnel weren't allowed to tell who what the group was. They just play it, and but got so popular because mm-hmm. he was. I think he was afraid that if they knew it was a cartoon group, it, they wouldn't like it. Yeah, yeah. then maybe that could be. I yeah. mean, they've had because they they've had, had novelty songs as number one in the Billboard charts. Right, but before, the Ar- I guess the Archies had released other songs like some Scooby Doo song or whatever, and it didn't get very far. Oh, okay. And he, and he thought it was because of that. Oh, but and maybe that's why it worked. Um. Also, Ron Frangipani played keyboards, and then on <laughs> Monday, September twenty second, nineteen sixty nine. Drew. What? He better be good. This better be good. Wait, hold on. I'll put down speaker. The Daily Beast. What does it say? <gasps> no! No! Hi, I'm Micah McCaw. I'm Jordan McCaw. And we host the, the McCaw, McCaw Podcast, Podcast Universe. Universe. We cover film franchises and we exist to prove people wrong when they say that sequels are never better than the originals. We are a weekly podcast that takes on film franchises. In each franchise, we talk about which movies work, which movies don't work, and we analyze how the franchise fits in pop culture and influence future movies. Previously, we've covered Marvel. Mad Max, Shrek, Toy Story, Harry Potter, The Twilight Saga, The Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Park. And right now we're covering the Ip Man series. And we have fantastic guests on them. We have Ilram Choi, who was one of the stunt doubles in The Amazing Spider-Man, and Amy Johnston, who is one of the stunt doubles in Captain America The Winter Soldier and star of Lady Bloodfight. The Macaw Podcast Universe comes out every Friday. And you can listen to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. That's the MPU, the Macaw Podcast Universe. I just can't believe it. Okay, where do we leave off? God. Okay. Uh, We're back. Yeah, uh, we just had to stop recording because we just found out that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. Uh, as we were recording, uh, I was in a great mood. This was kind of going well, I thought. And yeah, I, I just don't know. And now I can't even. It's like focus. The, f- the future is awful. So let's try to just move on, pretend that we didn't hear that, and then we'll grieve later. Yep. But, uh, rest in peace, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, an amazing, amazing woman that did a lot of amazing things. Yes, so we definitely. Have to, like really appreciate her before we get mad about what happens next. You're right. You know, um, yes, she was unbelievable. Um, I believe you have an air freshener with her face on. I it, do. And I think this we have an descent. action figure of her somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace, RBG. Crazy to find out as you're, while you're recording. Yeah. Um, but September twenty second, nineteen sixty nine, was a Monday. Willie Mays of the San Francisco Giants became the first Major League Baseball player since Babe Ruth to hit six hundred career home runs. Wow. Yeah, he came in as a pinch hitter in the seventh inning, and his two-run homer produced the margin of victory in the Giants' 4-2 win over the San Diego Padres and put the Giants in first place in their division with eight games left in the season. Uh, in the same game, his teammate Bobby Bonds struck out for the 178th time during the season, breaking the Major League Baseball record set by Dave Nicholson. Anyway, Tuesday, hmm. September 23rd, 1969, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid directed by George Roy Hill and starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford, 
open to a limited release in the U.S. That's a good movie. It is good. You maybe watch it, I think. And yeah, I like it. I've been wanting to ask you this for a while. Who would you rather bang, Paul Newman or oh, Robert Redford? Oh, that's so hard. That's it. Both as a sandwich. Whoa, you might hold a little DP action? or No, no? that's disgusting. Well, if you're... What else is there? I don't know. I I would I can't pick. They're both equally attractive. No, but I mean, like, if you're doing it with both guys. No, we're not going to go there. What do you do? Stop! Like stop! Just, stop! Okay. Stop! Stop! Right. Stop! <laughs> okay. I would definitely do both of them at the same time too. Um, but I think you and I would both prefer the next thing that happened that day. The television medical drama Marcus Welby, M.D. premiered uh, premiered on the ABC network. I never saw it. But wouldn't you rather bang the guy who played Marcus Welby? Marcus Welby? No. Robert Young played the title role and James Brolin was a co-star? Okay. James Brolin's hot, right? No. I look more like James Brolin than I do Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman. <laughs> you, you look more like... Uh, you, were, you were shooting for a Paul Newman and a Robert, Robert Redford, Redford and he got a James Brolin. Uh, Yeah. With no. that hair, you look like you're more of a Horshack. Not a Horshack, an <laughs> Juan, Juan Epstein. A Juan Epstein. Juan I look Epstein. like Juan Epstein right now. I haven't gotten a haircut since Corona, so I look like Juan Epstein. So you were going for Robert Redford. You're starting to look like Ron Jeremy a little bit with that hair <laughs> oh, going down the back. <laughs> hey, that's not a compliment. No, I'm just kidding, honey. I'm keeping it going, though. Friday, September tw- Oh, no. Yeah. Friday, September 26, 1969, The Brady Bunch, a situation comedy about a blended family. Created by the union of two people with children from previous marriages, was introduced as one of the new television shows on the ABC network. And you notice they never, um, the absent parents never were even discussed or talked they, about. Yeah, I think they did. They both died, right? They both. Oh, they did. Yeah, like the dad murdered his first wife. No, that's not what happened. Carol's husband died. No, I think they talked about it. They both died, right? Or maybe they never talked about I it. I don't remember them even ever being a no, thing. Oh, we have to go to Dad's house. Oh. I thought they were they were their kids. I didn't realize that they were like oh, I yeah, thought the girls that, didn't know the boys. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't realize that, I guess. Yeah, that you know, they brought their kids from previous. Okay. I don't why did I not know that? Uh I mean it's in the song. Oh, yeah, that's true. You're right. I never paid attention. One day when the lady met the fellow and the three... Yeah, you're right. How could you not know that? I it's don't know. the song. The whole fucking song. I guess I every, never thought about everyone it. Everyone knows every word to that song, right? I know. I know all the words, too. I just never... There are three men living all together. Okay. All right. One we'll move on. Girls. Anyway. I can't believe you didn't know that. Okay, uh... Yes. Uh, that same day, the 26 members of the White House Police, the division of the U.S. Secret Service assigned to stand guard at the residence of the President of the United States, mm-hmm. began wearing new uniforms consistent with the colorful garb seen in palace guards in other nations. U.S. President Nixon had decided to change, decided on the change earlier in the year after his first state visit to Europe as president. Okay. The widely criticized uniforms would be retired shortly after President Nixon's resignation in 1974. They were wearing rainbow suits. <laughs> uh, there you go. The Beatles that same day released the last album that they ever recorded together, Abbey Road, with sales hyped by a false rumor that Paul McCartney had died. Oh, it so is it the is 69. Makes sense. Beatles fans debate whether Abbey Road, the last 
recorded before the group broke up or let it be largely finished but not released until april of 70 should be considered the final work of the group okay so i think this one because this is the last one recorded so i think that's yeah. the last one i don't know what you think i just feel like we talked about it a long time ago but it, i th- uh i think from the coronaviruses makes everything seem like forever well i wonder if we talked about at the beginning of 1970 or something Paul maybe is dead. There was like because maybe be, that's maybe yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the and the Beatles. I don't know if you know this, but the Beatles originally planned to have an album titled Everest, mm. but the band didn't want to travel all the way to Mount Everest for the album cover photo shoot, uh, so they changed it to Abbey Road. Yeah, can you the, imagine? Which is the street right outside there. You studio. know they would have wanted them to climb to the top of the fucking thing, and they would have died for for a photo shoot. Can yep. you imagine doing that? They're like, fuck that. Let's name it after this road. Right I know. Here. There's it's this road. right here. Well, that won't be an iconic picture. Now nah, we'll just walk across and Paul, take your shoes off. Yeah. There you go. And and it, there wasn't all that whole stuff about, no, it's very meaningful. Paul, I know. Paul's dead and the, you yeah. know, the grave and everything. Um, but after the tense and unpleasant recording sessions for the proposed Get Back album, Paul McCartney suggested to music producer George Martin that the group get together and make an album the way we used to do it, free of the conflict that had begun during sessions for the Beatles album, known as the White Album. Martin agreed, but on the strict condition that all the group, particularly John, allow him to produce the record in the same manner as earlier albums and that discipline would be adhered to. No one was entirely sure that the work was going to be the group's last, Though George Harrison said, it felt as if we were reaching uh, the end of the line. Mm. Um, and Come Together was the subject of a lawsuit brought against Lennon by Morris Levy because the opening line in Come Together, Here Come Old Flat Top, was admittedly lifted from a line in Chuck Berry's You Can't Catch Me. Mm. A settlement was reached in 1973 in which Lennon promised to record three songs from Levy's publishing catalog for his next album. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know any of that. Mm-mm. I didn't know that. Now I want to hear that song. Yep. But I'll listen to it later because that brings us to September 27th, 1969, which was Saturday. Yes. And so I found this story. Basically, um, it was a 48 hours episode. Okay. Um, Wait, basically it was or it was? It was. Okay. I found it online, but it was a... But you've been watching a lot of 48 hours? 48. I haven't been watching anything, unfortunately. That's true. I've been busy. But... busy. But it was on 48 hours, and it was about this 15-year-old boy named John McCabe. Not John McCain. No, John McCabe, who vanished. Not the prisoner of war, John McCain, but John McCabe. 16-year-old boy, John McCabe, who vanished. Yes. Okay. He he had been living um, with his family in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Oh, Tewksbury. John's father, Bill, was an engineer, and his mother, Evelyn, worked at the school library. He and he also right. had sisters, Roberta, six, and Debbie, 17. Roberta, six was her name? Or no, Roberta, Roberta who, who was, was six. six. Okay. When she last saw John on September 26th, Evelyn gave him permission to go to the dance at the Knights of Columbus Hall. Oh, he was going to go to the dance of the Knights of Columbus Hall the same day that, uh, well, that was the same day I just talked about, the Brady mm-hmm. Bunch premiered. Yep. So at 11 o'clock, though, he still wasn't home. So she went out looking for him. Okay. Sounds like she'll find him and everything will be fine. When she couldn't find him. Um, and then the next day, police came to the house and they asked the dad to go down to the basement. They said they had something to tell him. So he goes down to the basement with the police, and, but she can hear through the vent. Uh-oh. So she goes into the bedroom and, and listens through the vent and hears them say, 
um, that they that John's body was discovered by three young kids at cutting through a vacant lot in the nearby town of Lowell. Oh no, his body was discovered on September twenty seventh, nineteen sixty nine, the same day that on the Andy Williams show he had Roy Rogers and Dale Evans on there mm-hmm. that same day. Mm-hmm. He had been tied up and there was tape on his eyes and mouth. Oh. So this huge investigation was launched by police. Okay. At the scene, they collected the rope that had been used to tie John up along with the tape, his clothes and shoes. Okay. There was some forensic evidence, but not very much. So there's no forensic files episode then. About no. This. A witness had spotted a plum-colored impala near the scene of the crime. Wait a minute. They made impalas plum-colored? Yes. I want a plum-colored impala. Another tip led police to a schoolmate, 16-year-old Mike Ferrara, who said he hardly knew John. Ferrara and his friend Nancy Wilson were questioned because they had picked John up when he was hitchhiking on his way to the dance. Uh Uh-oh. Ferrara told police that while the dance was underway, he left... He left Williams and met up with his best friend, Walter Shelley. Walter Shelley's untrustworthy. He said they took a ride to Lowell trying to get some beer. They were in Walter Shelley's car. It was maroon, and it was a 1965 Chevy Impala. They were in it, but they said they left, what's his name, at the dance, right? No, they left the girl at the dance and went to get beer. Okay. Police searched the, the Impala but found no evidence. But still, Walter Shelley was now a person of interest. I wonder if Walter Shelley spent a lot of time screaming and hollering about a Chevy Impala. He was brought in for questioning, and he was later polygraphed five times. Now, the, polygraphs are not admissible at this point, right? They're not they, No, but yeah. But the tests showed that he was lying in all vital areas of questioning. Mm. Ferreira was questioned multiple times as well. Okay. But Ferreira wasn't helping himself. At one point, while joyriding with some friends, he suddenly blurted out that he had killed John. Ugh. He claimed it was a joke, and later, when the police asked him, he said, oh, I was just joking. You know, I, I, I do understand that a little bit. Like, I think if I killed someone, mm-hmm. whether on purpose or not, you'd have to tell somebody. Like, you right. keep that a secret. But the police weren't convinced when he said it, he was just joking. Oh, but they yeah. didn't have anything else to corroborate the story, so it went cold. Yeah, because this was the 60s. They didn't have any technology. It's not like you could fly to the moon or anything. Right. There were dozens of other people the police investigated. There was other teens, local drug dealers, and pedophiles. Oh, teens, drug dealers, and pedophiles. Detectives worked the hard... Variety show on Andy Williams. (laughs) Detectives worked the case hard for two years. Walter Shelley and Ferraro went into the service in 1970. Okay. So the following year, the two of them left the area, and the McCabe family was left without any answers for decades. Okay. The case... Decades go by. The now ca- we're in the yeah. now the case the case stalled for some thirty years until November two thousand. Holy shit balls! Thirty years. When Jack Ward, a childhood friend of John's, who had been at a cookout at a house in Tewksbury, ran into a kid from the old neighborhood, Mike Ferrara. What? They were all sitting around the fire talking when Mike blurts out that he knew who killed John. Then he said it was Walter Shelley. Ward said. Marla Shiner was Walter Shelley's girlfriend back then, but he said the trouble was that Shiner also seemed to like John McCabe, and by all accounts, Walter Shelley was one very jealous young man. Oh, he's a jealous mother. So Ward called the police to tell them about this conversation he, he, he had. Here in November 2000? Mm-hmm. Had a barbecue? Mm-hmm. Wow. But then, um, but it took 
the dad was still calling many more calls and then three more years for the police to show up at the at Mike Ferrara's house. All right. And it, because so now like they're going to like we're going to look at something in 69. Who cares? Right. But so this is now 2003. OK. And at this time, Mike Ferreira worked as a forklift operator and lived in Salem, New Hampshire. Nancy Williams, his best friend back in the day, was now his wife. Mike Ferreira says he remembers the cookout conversation with Jack Ward very differently. Huh. He said he remembers saying Walter probably did it. He also denied discussing the jealousy motive with Ward. But again, there was no corroborating evidence. So again, the case stalled. Man, more stalling. Then in January 2007. Oh, my God. Just like yesterday. 37 years after the murder. What? Jerry Leone was sworn in as Middlesex County District Attorney. Jerry Leone is going to get to the bottom of this. He's a bad motherfucker. That's one thing I know about Jerry Leone. He's a badass. Police approached him and asked him to take a look at the case. Investigators had gone back over the files and a name jumped out at them in Mike Ferrara's latest interview with police. In recounting the night of the murder, Ferrara said he was with Walter Shelley, but this time added a name and said the other guy was with them was Alan Brown. Alan Brown? So Edward Alan Brown was 17 and lived not far from the McCabe's when John was killed. Okay. He had long since moved away, but when police tracked him down, he said he knew nothing about the murder, never even heard of it. Which was weird because of the size of the town. I have a feeling this guy is going to be the key to unsolving it all. And police got a call from Brown's wife that was even more curious. Brown's wife? mm Mm-hmm. So she's in on it too? His wife told police she thought he was lying. Oh, man. Carolyn Brown indicates to police that 20 to 25 years earlier, her husband had told her about an evening where he was involved in a young man being killed. Oh, no. But even that wasn't enough. It was the same old story. There was no corroborating evidence and no real movement in the case until 2011. What? All the way to 2011? When Detective Linda Coughlin was assigned to find the killers. Linda Coughlin is going to get to the bottom of this. Linda Coughlin is the key that cracked the camel's back. So Detective Coughlin zeroed back in on Edward Allen Brown. He was retired from the Air Force and living in New Hampshire. Coughlin interrogated Brown just twice. When Brown learned he failed to polygraph, he suddenly broke down. He confessed that he was there when Walter Shelley and Mike Ferreira killed John McCabe. What a dumbass. If somebody would just told him that polygraphs still are inconclusive. He well, remember that thing where they would take it, they would put it, hook people up to the copy machine and yeah. say it was yeah, a, yeah, it was a polygraph. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a toaster. And you and you failed. Yeah, I'm, Now, it's cooking my waffles, but it's also going to tell if you're lying. So Lowell police brought in McCabe's, the, brought in the McCabe's, the parents, and yeah. told them Brown's story about John's final hours. Oh, what did he say? On April 15th, 2011, nearly 42 years after John McCabe's body was found in a vacant lot, his father's perseverance finally paid off. Wait, on April 15th, 2011? The, his father's perseverance finally paid off. I uh, know. April 15th, 2011. Oh. The same day. This should be hilarious what was on April 15th, 2011. The same day that Shark Tank was on, Killer Outbreaks was on, mm-hmm. uh, the Steve Harvey Project was on, uh, All right. the Singing Bee Yard Attack was on, DIY Network. Okay. The same day the show about yard attacks was on. 
Um, that same day? The DA's office announced the indictments of Edward Allen Brown for manslaughter and Michael Ferreira and Walter Shelley for first-degree murder. Oh. Two names known to the police since day one. Two names also gathering dust in John's Book of Mourners. I don't know what that means. Book of Mourners. It, it would take almost two years to bring the men accused of killing John McCabe to trial. Two more years and McCabe, the McCabes would have to wait. On January 18, 2013, Edward Allen Brown was called to testify against his one-time friend, Mike Ferrara, the first defendant to go on trial. Wait, the same day that outrageous pizza was on mm-hmm. a show just about outrageous pizzas because that's where we've come yes like before it used to be shows now it's just shows I know, about it's just, outrageous it, weird pizzas. things for the first time brown publicly shared the details of the night john died brown says he was at home watching television when mike ferrara and walter shelley pulled up to his house they wanted him to go help them with something but he claimed he didn't know what until they left so he's like, sure, I'll go. I, yeah. But he just, he acted like he didn't know why they were where they were going. Yeah. Brown testified they were on their way to the Knights of Columbus Hall when he learned of their plan. They said they wanted to go find this kid that had been messing around with Marla to teach him a lesson. Uh-oh. Michael had noticed that John McCabe was hitchhiking. They saw him, pulled up next to him. Michael got out and grabbed him and pushed him in the back seat. Brown said they drove up a dirt road to the vacant lot and pulled over. They got him outside the car. Then Michael and Walter wrestled John, tripped him up, and got him on the ground. Brown testified that he and Shelley held John McCabe down while Ferrara tied him up. Then he took another piece of rope around his ankles and attached it up to his neck. They had put tape on his mouth. Then they got in the car and left him there. Brown says they drove around drinking a beer for a while. Then he told them they should go back and let him go. Brown says they eventually returned to the lot. Michael and Walter got out of the car and went over to him. They were there for about 30 to 45 seconds, and they came quickly back to the car, and they started to drive off, and one of them said that he wasn't breathing. John McCabe had died of strangulation. They, then they brought Brown home. Then they took Brown home. Brown says he kept the murder a secret for 41 years because he was afraid of Michael Ferreira. He had threatened his life if he told anyone. Yeah, and, you know, they probably didn't mean to kill him. Right. You know, they probably were just trying to teach him a lesson. And I really don't think they meant to. They shouldn't have done it, of course. Well, they strangled him. But how they strangle him? Like because that. it was tied to his neck, and then it was he oh, was like hog tied in his, his yeah. ankles. Uh, so he probably just like strangled. was trying to get loose, loose and strangle himself. So over the course of two days, Ferrara's attorney grilled Brown relentlessly until he admitted that the prosecution had fed him parts of the story. Oh. However, however, he got his story, though, the defense claims it cannot be true because it does not fit the evidence. In fact, in the 1969 police reports, detectives noted that they were unable to find any evidence of a scuffle. Then the defense called Marla Shiner to the witness stand. Prosecutors had a problem. It was their star witness, Edward Allen Brown, who seemed to wither and, uh, under strong cross-examination from the defense. Really? So prosecutor Tom O'Reilly called Detective Linda Coughlin to counter accusation that she'd forced Edward Allen Brown to confess and fed him details. Deets. Um, but Eric Wilson says Coughlin also had tunnel vision and ignored the evidence of other suspects like Richard Santos. So this is another suspect that yeah. they say she ignored. Richard Santos was flagged in a Tewksbury police report as a suspect in the McCabe murder in 1974. Santos was arrested for committing a crime eerily similar to John McCabe's murder. Really? This, one, this young woman was abducted on Route 38. Her feet were bound. Her hands were tied behind her back. Her mouth was duct taped and her eyes were taped shut. Exact same thing. Still, the judge allowed the jury to hear about Santos and another suspect, Robert Morley, a local 25-year-old who reportedly knew both Ferrara and Shelley and was suffering from mental illness. But huh. it's how Morley became a strong suspect that makes him so interesting. 
Police learned about him shortly after the crime from his own brothers. Sorry. Okay, so he... Morley's own Mor- brothers went in and said that they thought he might have been involved in it, but they had no evidence. Okay. And then he split to Florida the day after he was questioned by police, Wilson explained. Mr. Mor- Morley, Morley did? Yeah, okay. years later committed suicide. Oh. The defense also tried to punch holes in the alleged motive for the murder and called a surprising witness to do it, Marla Shiner, the girl who Walter Shelley and Mike Ferreira allegedly killed for. Marla Shiner testified for the defense that she was not dating Walter Shelley at the time of John McCabe's death and that John never flirted with her. Edward Allen Brown had just testified that Shiner was Shelley's girlfriend in September of 69 and Shelley was jealous because John McCabe was flirting with her, but Shiner says John never flirted with her. Really? Next, Marla Shiner threw the prosecution a curveball. She said she didn't start dating Walter Shelley until after John died when she was 12 or 13. Oh, 12 or 13. I know, dating. But according to police, Shiner told them she was dating Shelley at the time and was just 12 years old when they started seeing each other. Shiner did eventually marry Walter Shelley, but it didn't last because she said he was very violent. Yeah, you really shouldn't stay with a fellow if he's violent. Asked by the assistant district attorney if Walter Shelley was a jealous man, Shiner said absolutely. Okay. So this was a hard-fought trial until the end. And then it was up to the jury to decide, did Mike Ferreira help Walter Shelley kill John McCabe over a girl? Or was it Edward Allen Brown telling the story the prosecution wanted to hear? Which one? It only took jurors five hours to decide. The jury deliberated, and they found Mike Ferreira not guilty of murder of John McCabe. Oh, really? Just four days after the verdict, Bill McCabe's heart gave out and he gave up. While Evelyn McCabe later laid her husband to rest next to her son, the DA's office had a decision to make. Despite Ferreira's loss, prosecutors decided to try to convince the other suspect in the murder, Walter Shelley. So September 3rd, 2013. Oh, September 3rd, 2013. The same day that Dance Moms was on and stupid storage wars where people compete over storage units yep that same day yes seven months after mike ferrer's acquittal it was walter shelley's turn to stand trial shelley was 17 the night of john's murder he's now 61 remarried year old man and has lived quietly in tewksbury ever since just a few miles from evelyn mccabe if convicted of first degree murder shelley could spend the rest of his life in prison yeah it was the same case prosecutors presented against mike ferrer the same motive and the same evidence presented by the same witnesses yep Brown seemed less rattled this time, more confident. The week-long trial went to, to the jury. This would be the McCabe family's last chance to see someone held accountable for killing John. Yeah. Finally, two days later, a verdict. Uh-oh. Guilty. Really? And life behind bars for Walter Shelley, who kneels buckled under upon hearing the verdict. The, this jury believed Alan Brown. It was the final twist in a mystery filled with them. For the same crime and on the same evidence, one man walked free and one man went to prison. That's crazy. It's all based on just that one guy's yeah. mood and how unnervous, not nervous anymore he was. Yep. So what, what was he sentenced to? Life. He was life in prison? Mm-hmm. Is he still in prison or is he dead? Yeah, I think. Wow. Life behind bars, yep. So here's my only thing. I'm not saying it wasn't bad that he did that. I'm not saying the family shouldn't seek revenge because you would. Right. But at this point, he's lived for 40 years mm-hmm. without being violent or committing anything. So isn't the point... Well, his wife, Marla Shiner, said he was really violent. Well, that's right. She said he's violent. Mm-hmm. So at least she's... Yeah, at least he's not violent anymore, I guess. Never mind. My whole point was that... Why, why put him in he prison? He hasn't killed anybody for 40 years. Like, he's clearly not gonna now. But I guess if he was violent to her, then... You've got to pay for it if you did it. That's true. And now he's in Poundtown. Yeah, he is. 
But wouldn't he have been like if he had gotten convicted then he might be out on good behavior? I don't point. know. Anything is possible, I suppose. Anything is possible. I don't know how it works. I don't know how. Law you don't know works. anything anymore. I don't know any laws. And let's just finish up September uh, because September 29th was a Monday, Love American style. Oh, I used to love that show. Was it? Yeah, it uh, debuted on love, ABC. Love, 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 American style. Was it a Was it a and The red, musical? white, and blue. I only know the song for it. I don't know what it is. I think it was like The Love Boat, was but it wasn't on a boat. I'm pretty it was sure. It a new hour-long show. With three separate and unrelated skits on each episode. Oh, maybe I'm An wrong. anthology series, I guess. Okay. Um, I never knew what that was. And that's it. That's all I got. And then that's the end of September. Alrighty. And that's a pretty good... That's another episode. We've done an episode, okay? Get off our backs, everybody. We've done an episode. That's right. It might be a couple of weeks before we do the next yeah, episode. Yeah, we're like the Beastie Boys, remember? They would take five or six years between albums. So that's right, darn it. Leave us alone at the pandemic. We're sorry. And now we're very upset. And yes. now we're going to go wallow in self-pity because Ruth Bader Ginsburg is no longer with us. Yeah, I can't. It would be breaking can't. news. Like We'd be reporting breaking news because we're live. Right. But we're just recording a podcast that we're going to put out. Maybe I'll get it done and put out tomorrow. I'm pretty sure. I don't think anybody's going to. I think people are going to hear about this pretty soon. Yeah, they'll know it already by the time you hear this. But, but just know we were recording as it happened, as we heard about it anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, we love you, everyone. Let's. It's all just come together uh, because the world needs love more now than ever. So let's just love our neighbors. Yep. Descent. Love your friends and descent. <laughs> That's not what we do. Anyway, just don't, yeah, just don't take anything lying down. Stand up for your rights. Stand up for women. RBG. Yep. Oh, always. I mean, women. Rest in power. She is a badass woman. They have to replace her with a badass woman. I love RBG. I do too. All right. Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, we love you. Like, keep this stuff going. Like, thanks for listening, everybody. Time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yeah, get out of here, Chuck Berry. It's time to end this episode. Uh, American Timelines, History for Jerks. That's Amy. Thanks to Matt Truman, Ego Trip again. That's the music in the beginning and the end. We're so tired of hearing about the 60s. I said we're so tired of hearing about the sixties. When you were all alone, no watchtower, a kiss in the sky. Well, I was barely a glimmer in my young daddy's eyes. I said that we're so tired of hearing about the sixties. One more time, I said we're so tired of hearing about. Well, make me shut my mouth now. Coming past your Alice versus Tennessee town. I used to be coping more than for the president's ball. We're so tired of hearing about American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Thank you. Love you. Dave won pork.